This is Old Man Rolling Dice. Hey, this is Jeremy from Old Men Rolling Dice, and I'm joined today by uh, my co-host Jason, as usual, and our friend Jake. So we're going to talk about sorcerers today. Both Jake and Jason play sorcerers. Uh, Jason plays Eucariah Borealis, a tiefling sorcerer, uh, and Jake plays uh, Wileros, a half-elf sorcerer. I happen to DM both their characters, which is nice, and I'm... Especially excited about today. I, I saved this. I didn't tell them this but I'm ex before we start recording, but I'm especially excited today because these are two of my favorite people to role play with, actually. For what, <laughs> I know for what they bring to the table. It, uh, they are role players before they are number crunchers, generally speaking, and uh, they always make the table fun. So it's good to have you guys together. The next step is to get us all in the same game. That would be amazing. Wow. <laughs> wow. We're, we're committing to a lot of games on the side now. We are. We're like, every time we have someone here, we're like, we should totally game with you too. We should game. We should have a game. You know what? We should have a game, right? I like it. Yeah. We're both, we're all going to quit our jobs. <laughs> so we're going to talk about sorcerers today, specifically sorcerer spells. And we've asked Jason and Jake to sort of come up with three sorcerer spells each. So when we think of sorcerers, I think we think of damage dealers. We talked a little bit about this before yeah, we came absolutely. on recording as well. That Because sorcerers have a limited number of spells, it is very easy to go, my guy does damage, or my girl nukes the enemy down. But we've tried to, not to say that we didn't pick some damage spells on our list, but we're trying to find spell choices that maybe you've overlooked. The idea of sort of utility and support is is nice. I think especially in a role playing game, you're bringing a little something different to the table. It moves the story along. It solves problems, and uh, occasionally there's a good laugh involved. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Eucharia before we kick? Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, in the Old Men Rolling Dice podcast, I play Eucharia Borealis, the Pink Devil, um, Tiefling Sorcerer. Uh, he's known for having two tails. He's He's known in certain social circles. He's um, the character development is uh, was neat. I, I took the idea of um, he, every time I see somebody play a tiefling, it's always this um, young, thin, lanky with you know monstrous long horns, incredibly attractive. And I, I went the other way. I'm like, Zuccaria. What if he was like a 1980s one-hit wonder? And early in his career, he did something amazing that allowed him to just coast the rest of his life. So now he's a 50-year-old man who's enjoyed too many good meals and too much wine. He's a little portly, but he still has that natural swagger and charm. And he has tiny horns. And he has little teeny tiny horns and his silver dragon parentage and his heritage and his tiefling parentage have resulted in hot pink skin. Like, he's neon pink. <laughs> He's, he's, not, he's, he's not a jumping in there sort of fighter. He's not a frontline guy. He's not heroic by any means. But I like to think he sort of... He, he covers the flank. And my favorite, my favorite thing about him is that every time we meet an NPC, someone in the party, not necessarily yourself, but someone in the party goes, have you heard of our friend? You, <laughs> you may have heard of me. You may have heard of me. I'm kind of a big deal. I'm kind of a big deal. So, uh, Jake, why don't you tell us about Wild Rose? Because there are some similarities between the two characters. But So, when I decided that I was going to play Wild Rose originally, I was trying to fit a mold within our group. Um, before I even came into the group, I knew sort of what we had available, which was really mostly fighters. We had a druid at the time, a cleric. We didn't really have a social face, from what I gathered before we joined. 
Um, so I really wanted to fill that role, make sure that was available and accessible. It's an amazing role to fill. Oh, I love being at the table and 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 starting that conversation. It to me, this one it's what I enjoy the most about the game. I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So one of the things that I picked Wilderus and really why I think the essence of his character is diplomacy and trying to solve problems and bridge gaps between people. And you definitely have not made that very easy for me at all, Jeremy, I found. In our campaign, we've had a lot of really tough decisions to make. And I think that's really shaped Wileros throughout his um, experiences as a character. There was a while he became extremely depressed um, from trying to solve everyone's problems and not necessarily being able to in a very difficult and challenging world. But ultimately, I think with uh, the help of the friends that he has available to him, he's uh, still very jovial and loves to experience that... Uh, meeting of new characters and trying to solve problems without violence. And I think that's sort of why I picked him, even if it doesn't necessarily always work out the way he expects. And it's interesting that he doesn't want, he wants to avoid violence, but he's probably, his spells are probably the most violent in the party. Which, I mean, would, would you not, uh, fire is your chosen medicine. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> that's crazy because I've gone the exact opposite and I try and focus on frost. All the time. See, what's funny, actually, is... I like having that sort of theme, right? I like what happened to my character along the way, because my character's actually picked up a very potent staff of frost. Mm -hmm. So because of that, I've kind of got this fire and ice thing going on, and balancing that out has become really interesting with the character, especially being able to quicken spells from time to time. Because you can go from casting a fireball to throwing up a wall of ice later, and being able to make a quick, hasty getaway. Now... You're right, I do have a lot of violent spells for sure, <laughs> but if you want peace, you kind of do really prepare for war when it comes to D&D, because not everything goes your way. Well, this this is the, the campaign that Wilderos is in. It's probably the highest level campaign that I've run in a long time, and we're currently 14th level, and Wilderos' spells have caused me to rethink uh, encounter design and things like that, <laughs> so, yeah. So technically, you just got your wings. I did. I just got my wings. I'm looking a lot more... Uh... You're both dragon sorcerers. You're both yes, dragon sorcerers. But level 14 is, is the wing pop. The yeah. wing. That yeah. was the level I got rid of fly from my list. Officially. <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was like, okay, I can fly on my own now. I don't need this. Well, that's a great segue. So let's start talking about the spells. We asked Jason to come up with three low-level spells that he uses with his uh, sorcerer and why they're on his spell list. And then we did the same for Jake, but for the higher-level spells. So maybe we'll just start, maybe we'll go back and forth between you, but let's, let's, Jason, let's do your first one. Okay, I'm going to talk about my damage dealing spell, because we've talked about this before we started rolling, and this is the fantastic part about newer editions of D&D, is this, this access to a cantrip, that no longer having to carry darts, no longer having to rely on a crossbow, the fact that I have a repeatable spell. I like Ray of Frost, and, I, and we talked about this, <laughs> everybody's going to go with Firebolt. Right, uh, every I'm going to go in there. The D10 versus the D8. I mean, I'm not arguing those numbers. Obviously, in terms of if you're looking for the number pop, mm -hmm. I like Ray of Frost because I like the and. It does the damage. Yes. And it has another effect. We do a lot of our large combats on a gridded map with minis. Yes, we do. I like being able to look at that map and realize that not only am I doing this damage, but how I'm affecting the movement of those miniatures in terms of the melee combat uh, players I'm playing with. Somebody isn't going to make it into combat this turn, or somebody who's trying to flee for cover won't make it around the corner. Um, that's why I like Ray of Frost. 
So if you if you compare the two spells straight up, they're they're very similar. They're one action casts. Uh, they both require verbal somatic, so you're not you know you know there's not uh, any diff real difference there. Uh, they're both ranged. They actually both come from evocation schools. Uh, one does fire, one does frost. That's basically the difference. But you're right. The 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 firebolt just becomes. I shoot my firebolt. How much damage does it do? It does this much damage, and then you're moving on to the next player. Right. And when you have a limited spell complement, you're right. Ray of Frost gives you the. It does it. It does this damage, but it also does this. Right. I'm to, I'm trying to support or control the movement on the board, and at a as a uh, a cantrip like a zero level spell. Right at any point in time, we've de it's definitely factored into our gaming. There's been a couple of times when an enemy is fleeing and we're in pursuit, and I mean that ten foot reduction in movement is mm -hmm. huge. It actually factors in. You see it at the end of the combat. And go, yeah, I might have done two or three points damage more, but the reality is I allowed the barbarian and the paladin to make contact with this fleeing character, which it resulted in, you know, that problem being solved. And can be twinned. Yes. Right? It could be twinned into two rays of frost, in which point you're slowing them. And distance. Because it actually has a shorter distance than fireball. It does. It only has a 60 foot. Range is not as an important thing, I find, in lower level adventuring. So when you're starting yeah. off, whether something can shoot 60 feet or whether it can shoot 120 feet is sort of a nil point. If we're playing traditional get in the dungeon, dungeon crawl, Dungeons and Dragons, 60 feet you're, you're not going to have many rooms or corridors that are going to be bigger than that. True. Also, 60 feet is a nice number because generally that's where your dark vision stops anyways. Oh, yeah, I factored that in. And a realistic dungeon design to begin with, let alone like actual, if you thought of realistic world building, mm. how many rooms are really going to be 120 feet in a straight line that you can cast something? Mm -hmm. Like that. Just sort of the end temple, usually. Right? Well, I mean, it will happen, yeah. but I mean. No, but really, you're no, right. Okay. You're right. And to, so to extend it is, you know, I guess we can't lengthen the time that the speed is reduced for, can we? No. Because it just but says like start of your next like turn. It doesn't say the duration. Would, would benefit from it, right? The duration is instant. So you could quicken it, absolutely. Right. You could quicken could it. Cast the first level spell and then add that cantrip on as well. And quicken it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But, so, you I mean, you know, that's... That's the that's the strong point of all cantrips. Right? But sorry, I like it. I like it because it's a little different like that. If I wasn't going to use I'm that, thing, it, I thought it was like, a d six. It's not. It's a d eight. It's a d eight. So you're only losing on two damage to gain the ten foot reduction. Right. Even the, the description of Ray of Frost, a frigid beam of blue white light streaks towards the creature. Oh. There's something cool about that too, right? You're essentially shooting laser beams. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right? The old finger gun from when you played Star Wars as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. So, anyways, to wrap on Ray of Frost, I guess, before we move on, we like the and. I like the and. It does It does a D8, which is not that different from a D10, frankly. On top of that, if you have your, is it the, the Draconic Bloodline that lets you add damage to a specific element? That's correct, yeah. You essentially, you add the element of the Draconic... Uh, Type that you're okay. supposed to, elemental type you're supposed to. So with. if you're cold, uh, I am. The damage in the end is not going to be that different from Firebolt, right? Because it's plus your charisma bonus, isn't it? That's correct. Yeah, that's so correct. let's say, so let's say we you haven't have, hit that point yet. Let's game. say you have an 18 charisma, so you're yes. doing plus four. A D8 plus four and a D10 plus four. 
I'm sorry, I know you can get the, that little bit more damage in there, but it, I don't think it's going to be noticeable, and you're going to be slowing things, movement, for like what you said, they can't run away, they can't close. We have a number of uh, melee fighters in, yep. in our party, and um, I've found that like things that are restrained, things that are slowed, all of that has really been a massive factor in a couple of our battles. I would, I would think the only disadvantage is that if you were like looking at, what is the ability that that uh, gives the elemental affinity affinity so if you're going to choose frost as your elemental affinity i would say there's probably less frost spells than there are fire spells i would agree with that fire is nice because there are lots of fire spells as you level up i don't know that ice damage is as uh but i don't know it's as prevalent sort of the long game but even still if i mean Again, if we're looking for something non-traditional, like we know how to build, everybody knows how to build the damage dealing Absolutely. sorcerer. To some extent, Wilderos at lower levels was very cookie cutter. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. My first build in 5e? Uh, oh, yes. We've talked about this, I think maybe before you got here, about like if I could go back and write this character again, yes. I could think of probably about five things I would change yeah. that I, I didn't realize or I didn't, I thought were going to be more influential or impactful that, than they are. Yeah. Absolutely. Especially regarding the metamagics. I, I think as a first-time sorcerer player, having never even read the sorcerer section before I played and, this character. And that is something that, if you're if you're new to sorcerers, if you find a spell that does not fit your metamagic, it is probably not worth taking. You want some... All of your spells should be able to be manipulated in some way by your metamagic. So if Ray of Frost, we talked about like Twin, we talked about Quickened, right. uh, we talked about Extended... Um, those are all things that you could play around with. So, Jake, what 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 what's your first spell that we're going to look at here? My first spell, far and above, has to be confusion, just because it's hilarious. <laughs> I love messing with my DM. A fourth uh, level spell. A fourth level spell. So we're talking seventh level before we're going to see uh, a confusion spell. Right. But right? realistic for most campaigns, I think that you get into it, and I really enjoy it because you could say, well, you could just upcast Fireball at a fourth level to do a little bit more damage, and sure, you could. Mm -hmm. But in terms of just ability to be able to completely manipulate an encounter all to your liking yeah. is incredible. It crowd controls like crazy. Oh, absolutely. And if you uh, were to add something like Heightened Spell on that so that uh, essentially make everyone fail their save potentially, you really mm -hmm. are open to an avenue where you can completely... Like, the encounter is yours now. Yeah. Because a lot of times people aren't going to make that save. I don't believe it's a very common save either where uh, most enemies can do very well on it for the most part. Especially well, it's, most... it's a wisdom save, but you're right. Generally mooks, like you're, you're talking um, maybe just uh, run at 7th level. Maybe you're looking at a group of ogres. Yeah. A small group of giants. You're saying these are not... Uh... Traditionally, wisdom strong. <laughs> no, <laughs> is that what you're implying? In very culture. That's exactly what I'm saying. But that—that's the thing, right? For for physical groups of enemies, where you you might not be able to talk your way out of it, but you might be able to outthink the scenario if given a bit more time, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. just be able to throw them against each other sometimes if the dice allow it. Mm -hmm. And I do kind of like that randomness element of. Like it's funny how confusion has that element of complete randomness. Yes. Like it's like you've made them confused. 
but what's going to happen to them is confusing itself. Which you guys, you guys both played Draconic Sorcerer Bloodlines, but there is the Wild Magic Bloodline. <laughs> so anything that causes <laughs> randomness, crazy, like it just in doing that. feeds into that, right? So again, confusion is a fourth level spell. It's, it takes one action to cast. The duration is one minute. It does require concentration. It has a ninety foot range, and then uh, has a ten foot radius sphere. Uh, centered off that uh, target. It does use verbal, somatic, and material components. I love the material components. Could you, could you take a guess at what it is for confusion? Rubber ball and a feather. No. That, no. that goes back to like first edition. Really? Really crazy components. Three nutshells. Oh, even better. The nut game? Oh, oh perfect. perfect. <laughs> Alright, the ball under the I nut. think you should have to set a little table up too. <laughs> huh? Yeah. You put on a little hat. Uh, like, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Which card? <laughs> so, uh, so, and this spell can also be upcast, and this is one of the few spells in the game, I can't think of many others, where by upcasting, you actually balloon the radius of the spell. Oh, it's nice. one of the ones that really makes sense, given its context, though, mm-hmm. and again, its ability to shape an encounter. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I think I actually have confused one of our own party members before in the past. But, with the, if you're metamagicking, you could take careful spell. You could. And remove friends from that radius. So you could drop it in your party, confuse everything around. This is certainly a spell that's good opening up. The the two forces haven't closed ranges yet, and there's no fear of hitting your friends with this. So once again, affecting the map on the table. Yeah. 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 However, I mean, if they're in tight and you have the careful metamagic, you could drop it right on your party. Oh, I wish for some reason that I could have just a little bit more metamagic. Even just for the utility of it, I get it to be a little bit more too powerful sometimes. Mm-hmm. But just to be able to really fully explore some of the complexities you could have with all of the meta magics would really oh, open yeah. that up. Absolutely. Even I, if you I think heightened is probably the best though. The one that is heightened that reduces the that puts disadvantage on the saving throw. Yes. For the save or, or save or suck, so to say, spells, I would yeah. very much agree. Yeah. Because I'm, uh, this spell, the creature does get a chance to break the spell's effect at the end of each of its turns. So if you can, does heightened last through? Maybe, maybe I'm thinking disadvantage on its first saving throw. On its first saving throw, really but at least let you land it. Uh, so what happens is you roll a d10 for each creature, and uh, on a one, the creature uses all movement to move in a random direction. On a two to six, which is going to be your most common outcome, the creature doesn't move or take actions at all. Uh, the cre- on a 7 to 8, the creature uses its action to make a melee attack against a randomly determined creature within its reach. If there is no creature, then it uh, just stands there and does nothing. And then only on a 9 and 10 is the creature allowed to act and move normally. And again, in our pre-talk, uh, one of the things from a DM standpoint when designing encounters, you cannot defend against confusion. There is not a creature that... that Confusion doesn't impart a condition, which means any creature that has condition immunities is not going to be your trump card for encounters with confusion. Even creatures that are immune to charm condition are still affected by confusion. There's no mention of the charm condition at all. And the fluff says the spell assaults and twists creatures' minds, spawning delusions and provoking uncontrolled actions. I guess when you look at spells for sorcerers, it's like, when I cast this, am I just a wizard? Or is there some way that I can manipulate it with my metamagic that I'm no longer a wizard? I completely and I, agree. I think things like careful spell 
you know, a, a wizard drops this on his party, everybody's getting confused. If a wizard, if there's a greater distance between you and the target, you could even uh, distance spell this, right? Because it's a 90 foot range, you could push that to a 180 feet. Yeah. I think the meta magic thing is important to mention because I think as a relatively new player and definitely new to the sorcerer. It's something I often overlook or forget, and I mm. think a lot of times I'm playing just as a wizard. Yeah. It it really is the the iconic defining element of that class, and yet I think as a new player, I find it, I found it very confusing yeah. at the start. Yeah. Right. Uh, other than sort of a, a few basic I effects, like twin. I also think it's one of those things that if you're a new player to the Dragons, you read it and go, okay, this meta magic stuff is cool. Yeah. But I don't I don't totally get it. It's one of these things though that when you actually play with it. And your DM or your another player goes, hey, you could twin that to hit this too, or you could twin that. I definitely think to... there's a learning curve on it. I agree. Yeah, like yeah. all of a sudden there's an aha moment where you're like, ah, I get it now. Yeah. I I can totally see how I can use this meta magic. Whereas a wizard, a wizard doesn't get to do that. No. Uh, oh, now wizards have other things like ritual casting and that, but the sorcerer's strongest point is that meta magic table. So actually, one of my first experiences with that was actually when a character in our game said, uh, like, why are you why are you wasting your turn? We had gotten into this conflict where essentially I was sort of stuck behind a wall and didn't have enough movement to be effective uh, fundamentally to attack the target I was looking at. But <laughs> I actually completely did. I could have quickened spell and cast whatever I wanted. But I hadn't realized. I just pretty much dashed and my turn was done. And I was like, well, that's it. That's really all I can do this turn without completely realizing that I was within my toolkit all along. Mm. So it is a it is a learning process. Absolutely. There's probably at least once per session where I look back and go, oh, you know, I didn't mean, bother. I, I could have done something. Maybe it wouldn't have turned the time, but it would have been more interesting. It would have brought some flavor. You're in the shower after and you're like, damn, oh, oh damn it. All, all <laughs> all I have a thing. <laughs> my hindsight is better than 2020. So, Jason, number two sorcerer spell. What are we going to talk about? Your number two sorcerer this, spell. This, and this is once again strictly based on the play style and the fact that I've not played a lot of spellcasters in 5th edition. Discovering this spell, being a charismatic talking character, Disguise Self has brought me so much joy. And, and it seems like, <laughs> and it's always an option in any role-playing situation, sort of aggressive, non-aggressive, passive, subtle. It, it's not something you always use, but it's another card on the table that when you're formulating a plan is, I could disguise myself and play this role or access this, or it totally sort of opens up the how do we get through the door. Mm. You know, um, bad roles, just not having as many avenues as you yeah. think. Beyond the fact that it's a, if you enjoy talking at a table and being that social character, it opens up an opportunity to put on a different hat and play a different voice, even if it's just briefly. So Disguise Self, first level spell, casting time one action, range itself, so it is not available for twinning. But uh, but there are some other meta magics that you can work with it. Components are verbal and somatic. There is no material component. Absolutely. Uh, which also makes it great for if you're captured. Well, I was about to say the dungeon scenario. Suddenly you're the guard. Yeah. The yeah. DM takes your components away, uh, and you're like, I don't need components for this. Yeah. So I can still change Guys, myself. I got this. Duration is one hour. I would say that that's good, with the exception of sometimes you're going into a town. Uh, and you're maybe going to play the imposter, yeah. Yeah. but we can metamagic it, yeah, right? Absolutely. We can extend it. School is illusion. There's no saving throws involved. Uh, you make yourself, including your clothing, armor, weapons, and other belongings, uh, look different until the spell ends. 
And it's important that it's belongings as well. It's not just skin skin and Absolutely. blood that you're changing. You're changing whatever you're carrying yeah. as well. Um, like I said, so I, if no one can see you, if no one's supposed to see you carrying the amulet out of town, the amulet disappears beneath the disguise spell. Absolutely. Yeah. But like I said, I, I get almost more enjoyment for a well-placed disguise self than I do from a big damage. Did Wilderos doesn't have disguise self, I don't think. No, Wilderos talks as himself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even sometimes to his own regret. I think that's... The we have another thing. character in the party that kind of takes care of disguises and that. We do, we do. As, as long as somebody in their party is able to do yeah. that, right? But the other thing is, the, the, the spell is sort of... We're talking about using disguise self in a social environment... And your primary stat is charisma, so it's leading into persuasion. Yeah. It's playing uh, your strength. Performance. For sure. It's playing your strength. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. No, I think that's a great, a great. I, spell. I don't know that there's a ton of conversation to be had about it in terms of what we can do with it, other than the fact that I just, I have, for the first time I've ever had a character to use that spell. Yeah. Gotten a massive amount of enjoyment out of it. And the reason that I think it's better for a sorcerer than a wizard is because it plays to your strength. Mm -hmm. A wizard's Wizard is not necessarily going to have good charisma. Absolutely. So he can look like the guard, but can he pull off the guard? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Nope. Can he pull off the mannerisms yeah. and everything else? He can he can look like the prisoner, but can he act like the prisoner? Mm -hmm. Whereas the 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 sorcerer is going to have those bonuses. I, all I know is that in every encounter we have, and I'm laying out in my head what my two or three options are, it always gets to fall in that pile. Like if we are encountering cultists in the desert. If we're, mm -hmm. you know, infiltrating a monastery, it's always on the table. It maybe isn't what, what I end up picking, but it's at least almost always one of my options. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the things I think I really enjoy about that as a spell is, say you're talking to a king or a highly influential figure, right? Yeah. You're talking as a complete outsider, someone they have no idea of. Disguise self, you become their daughter or their son. Suddenly your opinion, you say something that you want to say in character to convince them. 100% more relevant. Just like in real life, right? Some stranger's telling you something off the street. You're not going to listen to them. Or, you know what? Even in, um, in, in my campaign, uh, my wood elves are very xenophobic and they don't like people coming into their woods. But if you can disguise self to look like a wood elf entering the woods, you might be able to push the boundaries of what they're willing to talk to you about and things like that. So it, it doesn't have to necessarily... It can be used as a peace offering, essentially, is what I'm saying, as opposed to just strictly... Absolutely. And like I said, and just the infiltration, right? Yeah. If you need to be a bugbear to get through that door, then you can be a bugbear. Yeah. No, I like it. I like it. Uh, let's move on to Jake's number two pick. So my number two pick gave, well, gave you actually quite the startle when you first saw it. Uh, you know it as Synaptic Static. It's yeah. a fantastic spell from Xanathar's. I really love its potential. I've only just thought of this today. And I think this I might had be no the, idea. This might be the only spell... That we're going to mention today that does not come right out of the player's handbook. Synaptic status comes from Xanathar's Guide to Everything uh, for page reference 167. Uh, it's a fifth level spell, one action to cast, range is 120 feet. It has a 20 foot radius, essentially, uh, blast that it does. Verbal and somatic, again, no material component. It is an instantaneous cast. Uh, school is Enchantment, which is again interesting, and it requires now this is an intelligence. Saving throw, <laughs> which again uh, is it. crushing. It's one of those saving throws that aren't. Oh, yeah. Are we talking about ogres again? Well, we're talking about ogres, but you know what? Yeah. Like, Even in general, yeah. If if the party at the table, like the only one with high, really high intelligence at the table, is generally 
the mage, right. maybe the rogue. A particular archetype for the rogue, right? That's right. Yeah. For investigation and things like that. Yeah. But intelligence is one of those stats that you don't get the saving throw on very much. No. I mean, even think back to the previous editions of Dungeons and Dragons. There was your reflex save, your will save, mm-hmm. and your uh, fortitude save. Yes. Yep. None of that touches on intelligence. So to now have a spell that's going like, I'm going to make you make an intelligence saving throw. You're like, well, so I, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I think for a lot of people it's a mediocre stat. Right? It can be a dump stat. It could be a, a dump stat, but I mean, definitely at best. Mind you, we're talking that. PvP, but I can tell you there's a lot of monsters out there that intelligent. Like, is their dump stat. <laughs> well, it's not going to be great. So let's talk about what the spell does. So, I mean, I love it as the, the psychic fireball with just an excellent, excellent add on. Yes. Um, my favorite it's part. It's got an and. Yeah. Just yeah, like yeah, Rare exactly. Fox has an and. Exactly. I love this the spell and. has an and. And its and can be just. It can be devastating. Mm-hmm. So you get into uh, a combat with something that's just really, really a heavy hitter, particularly, I find. Mm-hmm. Something that's going to just deal massive amounts of damage. And if, let's say, there's two or three of them even, and you hit this spell that's treated with, uh, I believe it's 20-foot radius uh, A 20-foot radius blast, right? yeah. yeah. It does 8d6 psychic damage, which, again, right there, psychic is another one of those damages out there that there are things that are immune to it, there are things that are resistant to it, but they are so few and far between. There's so few. so there's lots of things that are immune to fire. There's yep. lots of things that are resistant to fire, resistant to cold. Absolutely. Psychic hits that spot where it's like I'm gonna get this past all the resistance. And that can be the problem. With something like fireball, even as uh, an elemental adept who ignores resistance with that feat, um, that's something that I have at this level anyway. Nice. But uh, something like synaptic static, when I'm hitting someone with it. Barring something like Legendary Resistance, I'm fairly confident I'm going to hit. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I'm going to change the combat dramatically. Even something like a negative two on attack rolls for opponents so this just enough. This brings us to the and. So the and is that after a failed saving throw, a target has muddled thoughts for a minute. During this time, uh, it rolls a d6 and subtracts the number uh, from all its attack rolls and ability checks as well as its constitution saving throw to maintain concentration. Which means if we can land this on a spellcaster, your fighters and rogues are going to be able to interrupt their spells that much better. Now, it's an intelligence saving throw, so wizards are going to be a hard one to land it on. But, sorcerers, bards, uh, uh, clerics, these are all... And clerics who have concentration on a lot of their... You know, one of the clerics, if the cleric has a downfall, it's because it has to concentrate on his buffs. So if we can remove that constitution saving throw for, you know, make it easier to get that through. Uh, so it says the target can take, can make an intelligence saving throw at the end of each of its turn to end the effect. And I mean, still, heightened spell as a metamagic could be highly relevant for that. To land it for at least... One target within there. The one that you really want it to land on. Well, probably. and plus, you don't get the and side of this spell unless it fails its save. Yeah. So heightened makes it that much better. For sure. For sure. Uh, we can... we can. Is this the one that bubbles out? No, heightened gives a failed DC. Uh, a disadvantage on DC. I don't think we can make this one a bigger radius. No, I, I don't think so either. A careful Quick spell... spell. You can drop it on your party then. Uh, distance spell. It has a 120-foot range, but you can push it to 240. Oh, my gosh. Um, empowered spell is a good one on this because you have a large dice pool. So you could roll 8d6 
and then you could pick a bunch. How, how many dice do we actually get to roll with an empowered spell? We there's a number of dice you can. It's the to number of die equal to your uh, charisma, charisma modifier. modifier. Yeah. yeah. So we're talking at least for most good uh, campaigns, you're it's having a sixteen to eighteen. So you're talking three to three to four dice to get to re-roll. Yeah, absolutely. And what I like about this is uh, it comes out of Xanathar. So from a player's point of view, it certainly was this for me as a DM. I certainly try to read as much of the books as I can, but you can't cover everything and keep everything memorized. This spell comes out of left field, <laughs> I think, and when it hits, uh, you're scratching your head. You're like, can you read that out loud again? Yeah, it does <laughs> that much damage. Okay, and now what? what's it doing? Now, it's interesting, though. This spell cannot be upcast. So you cannot make that 8d6 pool larger, probably because it's psychic, and it is one of those spells that uh, that uh, can get around things. But um, it And it does say a creature with an intelligence score of 2 or lower can't be affected by this spell. I still think the intelligence saving throw is the strength of this spell. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I think, I think the funniest part was pulling this out. I think we were fighting hill giants at the time. And I think that was the first time I cast Hill Giants and Ogres, and I cast it. And you, I remember, were sitting at the table like, wait, what? <laughs> What's this spell? Like, I need to look this up. Now, we had kind of made an error. We were doing the negative to attack rolls and ability checks. We were also applying that to saving throws. That's basically yeah. made, meant once it landed, it was not coming off. Like, they were not going to make that right. save. Pretty much. So awkward. it's important yeah. to note that, like, it's only attack rolls and ability checks. But... For all the reasons we've mentioned, I think synaptic static is one of those things that you know needs to needs to be considered by a sorcerer specifically because they can get the the ability to put a disadvantage on the saving throw. Like a wizard can cast it too, but he he can't imply the disadvantage. And if he doesn't, if they don't fail their save, that negative to attack and ability checks is just lost. So the sorcerer makes sure that that ability check uh, modifier lands. Uh, and and I think that's where the strength comes. Now, it is a 5th level spell, so we're now looking at a ninth level character to be able to cast this spell. So you're not going to see this... Like, you're not, you not casting synaptic static when you're fighting kobolds and goblins. You, you have progressed a little bit. Mm -hmm. You always just go back and farm them for a bit. That's true, that's true. Just work out the kinks. You cruel <laughs> bastards! <laughs> they had a family. Yeah, remember Jimmy... <laughs> <laughs> this is for Jimmy. So, Jason, let's go on to your uh, your third choice. Okay, so this is going to be a no-brainer. Mm -hmm. It is something I just recently acquired because we just leveled up. I have not even used it yet. <laughs> um, but in terms of, and once again, going back to sort of playing right from first edition, in terms of iconic spells, I mean, the fireball right there, obviously. But for me, growing up, your first introduction to sort of uh, fantasy... Being the Lord of the Rings, the concept of being invisible, invisibility, mm. in a party that maybe doesn't have a rogue, doesn't have the subtle, you're kind of playing that face in interaction, once again, a card that's on the table in every encounter. Mm. Um, and So second level spell, absolutely. one action to cast, range is touch, uh, it, verbal, somatic, and material. Can, do we have a guess what the material is going to be? No. Oh, is it? Uh, I thought it was... I honestly want to say it's like a small feather, but I know that's not it. It, it close. An eyelash encased in gum Arabic? I don't have my glasses on. Let me see. Now I got them on. Gum Arabic. I don't know what gum Arabic is. Anybody? No. 
probably okay. should since I want to cast the spell. <laughs> it's Arabian gum, I think. Arabian gum. Like, what the lights are right now? Yeah. Uh, the duration is one hour. It yeah. does require concentration. Uh, important to note that this is not greater invisibility. The spell drops if you if you ca- I think if you attack cast attack or spell, cast. Yes. When, uh, so the spell ends if the target attacks or casts. Uh, so a creature you touch That's becomes you invisible around. until the spell ends. Important that invisibility is a condition. So the invisible condition uh, makes it impossible to see without the aid, makes it impossible to see the creature without the aid of magic. Uh, for the purpose of hiding, the creature is heavily obscured. Uh, the creature's location can be detected by any noise it makes. Attack rolls against the creature are at disadvantage, and the creature's attack rolls have advantage. So even though you can't attack while you're invisible, if you're invisible and make an attack, that first attack you do have advantage Absolutely. on. Absolutely. So jumping out of rogue. shocking grasp behind a large armor wearer. Yeah. Um, and we and we can twin this. We we did some research before the show, so you can twin invisibility. Uh, Bring the, your favorite. The discussion with was: you. Can you concentrate on more than one spell? So if you cast two invisibility spells, but we learned that. Uh, it doesn't actually cast invisibility a second time. It just changes the number of targets, number of targets that the spell can affect. So it can now affect uh, two targets. I feel like that was a lackluster suggestion in that it seems fairly obvious for any spellcaster, especially somebody who's, I think I'm currently 5th level and mm-hmm. just recently acquired this. It's not like there's a lesser known spell. I think this this spell can... So how can we manipulate this with metamagic? Because that's going to be the difference here. So we can extend it. It has a one hour duration, so we can push that to two hours. Right. Um, which would be great, maybe, for espionage roles or spying. Um, I like the fact that, too, I mean, as a non-metal armor wearer, in terms of having them sort of move silently while invisible sh- should mm-hmm. be less of an issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think twinning again twinning. is really powerful. Just being able to bring some... If you're going in somewhere and let's say you do accidentally get in a fight, for whatever reason you're detected, then suddenly you have another person there for backup, yeah. that matters a lot. Absolutely. And if, let, let's look at the standard four-person party. We can almost invis the whole party down at that point because your rogue is probably going to be able to stealth. Right. Does he or she need the invisibility? Maybe not. Mm-hmm. But you can do two of the other party members, your, maybe yourself and someone else, and maybe the fourth has another way to... But you to, know what? This goes back to my disguise self. I disguise myself, invisibility, two other people, that's and right. let the rogue slink in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or the can, druid becomes a mouse and suddenly... Can we do that as disguise self-concentration? Oh. I don't know. <laughs> we've, we've, oh. we've discussed. I, I enjoyed that. Oh. I enjoyed that revelation. I think... That's this, not... Does it say concentration? It does not. It lasts for an hour. So you can totally disguise yourself and invis to your party members. Mm-hmm. This is way better than the Chewbacca method we tried. <laughs> where you pretend you have a prisoner... Uh, Never works. I think this spell comes very close to not being at like the sky. I like how the disguise self plays into charisma. I'm not sure invisibility plays into a sorcerer's strength. A sorcerer's strength quite as well, but there is some neat things that you can do with the uh, with the extended duration because one hour seems like plenty. But believe me, when you're not in a combat encounter. And you're like, I want to move through the town. I want to find this. I want to find that. And I don't want anyone to know I'm there. That extra hour is huge. 
Mm-hmm. Like to go, you have two hours now. Like you, you can. You're go, an hour in and yes. an hour back. Right? Yes. I suppose we could quicken it, right? We could quicken it. We're in combat. We quicken cast it, and we're going to be able to move and then dash. Hey, I mean, if there's ever a situation where you need to get out of dodge, which, I mean, is an underappreciated thing, I think, in D&D in general. And I think that's why we like some of this utility, yeah. because there are times where you should leave. And if it comes down to you needing to almost die or get out of there... Our last episode that has not been released yet, hmm. um, there was an ambush that goes horribly wrong. <laughs> and it, 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 it should have been a very easy kill. It was not. It was... Mm-hmm. Um, there, at one yeah. point in time, I was holding on to that last spell slot, knowing that this... I ended up having to use it for a damage spell, but I was like, worst case scenario, this is the only card I'll have left on the table. But I'm not getting captured. Like, and then I can still possibly assist the party or track them back. But I remember thinking at one point in time, this is like the last ace up my sleeve. Yeah. You know, um, and as, as everybody's like going down and at one hit point, you're not sweating because you're like, no, no. If all this, is gonna fails, make, this is going to make a great story. I'm still walking out of here. If all this, fails, I can go invisible and I'm... Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it is almost... It's a reset for sure. And once again, I think even in a combat situation, just replacing yourself behind an enemy mm-hmm. or for infiltration, it's another card that I think will probably almost always be one of my options when I lay them out, mm-hmm. whether or not I cho- choose it or not. Because as a fifth level... Character, I, I it, like, is, it is a very high spell slot for me. I like it from the standpoint that, like, again, sorcerers get kind of pigeon-toed into, I am a damage dealer. Yeah. And so you're already, so you're already going to have damage spells on your list. I get it. Second level, you probably have Scorching Ray. And if you don't have Scorching Ray, you maybe have Acid Arrow. Mm-hmm. These are both good damage spells. However... What, like when sorcerers begin to stack damage spells, like you only need one damage spell at second level. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you have if you have spells, you if you have scorching ray, if you have scorching ray, you need more damage spells at the second level. And invisibility is something that if you have in your back pocket, it gets into things like I find invisibility just and it's a mobility thing, right? To think spells like fly and spider climb, things that sort of when you're looking at a table and thinking, okay, these are the obstacles before me. Suddenly, it, it opens that table up, right? You're, you're not looking at the same piece of terrain or the same same three options. I have these three options, plus I have the option of flying behind or running invisible through the field and doubling back. Or all of a sudden, it, it kind of changes an encounter. It gives it more depth mm-hmm. um, and, once again, opens it up to more role-playing, right? Um, it's being really somewhere you shouldn't be. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Restricted area. Yeah. It's interesting that a lot of the spells that we've talked about even just so far have been spells that have great utility in combat yeah. sometimes and outside of combat. Right. Like they open up the story a lot. They're not just explicitly that I do damage. <clears throat> I do damage. Yeah. It's something else. No, I think so too. I think, and, and maybe it's just the age I'm currently at or the role playing we're playing, but just the, the I do damage, I do damage, I do damage is not a game I want to sit at. I find it gets very old very fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so let's go to Jake's last pick here. And this, this is, is a big one, isn't this it? This is kind of a mother of all spells. Oh, this is a uh, discussion yeah. we've all been waiting for. And not only is it uh, a damage dealer, it has an and, which I like. 
it has it has an and which <laughs> which is okay so i have a love very much hate relationship with the spell now and i'm actually a little terrified to pull it out <laughs> after my last experience with it but uh the spell is disintegrate it's a six level spell so six level we're 11th level now yes that's correct it is a one action 60 feet verbal somatic material um, What's the material? The material is a lodestone and a pinch of dust. Yeah. Which is what you turn someone into if they... <laughs> <laughs> Which You're is just very apropos. Mm-hmm. Just very apropos. But uh, it's a terrifying spell when you consider just the sheer amount of damage. So it is a dex save. Which is pretty common. Which is pretty common, for yeah, sure. You're not going to hit a rogue type creature with this. Um, however, the damage and effect is forced and I can... I am not aware of very many creatures that have any kind of force resistance or force immunity. So you, again, are firing off a spell that really hits the weakness. And I mean, the wonderful thing about this is they can only be brought back by a true resurrection or a wish spell. Which means, in terms of eliminating someone completely from a campaign almost, Mm -hmm. to bring them back, the amount of, let's just say, world sort of encounters and people working towards this goal to bring this thing back mm-hmm. is huge. So they're essentially gone, barring someone spending extensive amounts of magic and power into it. Yeah. So I love it. So so just so our listeners know, if you haven't looked at Disintegrate before, as we said, it's a dexterity saving throw, and on a failed save, uh, the target takes 10d6 plus 40 force damage. So you're looking at a possible 100 points of damage there if you were to have a max roll, which certainly is probably not going to happen. However, the target is disintegrated if this damage leaves it with zero hit points. It doesn't go, as you said, it doesn't go into death saves. You can't heal it back up. It is gone. It turns to dust. A uh, disintegrated creature and everything it is and everything it is wearing, which is an important note as well, Oh, except magic except items. Except magic items. Are reduced to a pile of fine gray dust. The creature can be restored to life only by the means of a true resurrection spell. That's a ninth level cleric spell. We're talking an 18th level cleric at that point. Uh, maybe 17th. 17th level cleric. 17th, yeah. Or a wish spell. And again, a ninth level wizard spell. Sorcerer spell, yeah. Sorcerer, yeah. Uh, so, interesting. That sixth level spell... The only way to overcome it is to cast a ninth level spell once it's hit. And uh, so the and side, I mean, because this does massive damage. Mm-hmm. The unfortunate thing is on a, on a successful saving throw, they take zero. Exactly. It's sort of, if you can pull it out and it can... It's be, all or nothing. Exactly. This is another one where heightened spell is pretty much necessary, especially in anything yeah. that has a reasonable dex save, which again, are quite a few of the enemies in D&D. They have decent dexterity usually. But uh, it can also be upcast, and it adds 3d6 for each level it's upcast at, which allows for even more damage, (laughs) right? Which is just fantastic. I love the board. Oh, my God. And uh, empowered, allowing dice rerolls. Yep. Uh, Which, again, perfect spell for it. And at that point, realistically, you should have a probably plus 5 to your charisma modifier. Are we saying we can twin this? This is, this is actually a spell you can twin. Yeah, it costs a tremendous amount can of resources. Can it be twinned? I think so. I think so. It's a single target. Because it's a single target spell. So this is cast at something else as an attack, but it's uh, it's a saving throw. But because it has only mm-hmm. one target, I believe it is. I think you're right. 
double disintegration? There is. The spell automatically disintegrates a larger, smaller, non-magical object. If the target is huge or larger, this spell disintegrates a 10-foot cube portion of it. Just think about that for a moment. So you have a huge dragon. You disintegrate a chunk out of it. You're probably getting its attention. Which again is, I just think just again though, a magic item is unaffected. Yeah, which I think is actually nice as well because you don't have to worry that you're going to destroy something that you might necessarily need. Let's let's say they have the magical MacGuffin. Exactly, (laughs) they have the magical MacGuffin, and suddenly you've erased it from existence, and now your world's ended. Hey, good job. Here's why I like the spell. One of the greatest defensive spells in the game is Wall of Force. You can just brick off an ally that nobody can touch him for a while, if he needs to be. Uh, if you're getting away, you can seal off a wall, a room. I can I use Walls of Force all the time in dungeon puzzles and things because they are these invulnerable, invisible walls. So how does the party get around it? They can see through it, but they can't get through it. Enter the Disintegrate spell. And the Disintegrate spell is, I think, the only spell that uh, can bring down a wall of force. They are these indestructible, invulnerable walls, but not to me. <laughs> but we've used this spell in our in our campaign for more than just you disintegrating people. You disintegrated a bridge last game? Yes. Or at least a portion bridge. of it that yeah. caused a collapse? Yep. So it has that and feature. No, I like that. Uh, it's 60 foot range. We could we could extend this to get it to 120 feet. The hi- I think heightened is probably your best bet though with this. Yes. Uh, so that because it's all or nothing, you can't have the target make it saving throw because then you're like, oh. Because if you think of, uh, let's say even a fireball upcast to six level, right? So you add a d6 for each level at that point, so it's 11 d6 at that point, right? Mm-hmm. And even if they make their dex save, they still are taking half that damage regardless, as opposed to nothing if they make the save. Yes, this is an all or nothing. You take 10 d6 plus 40. The plus 40 is the nice... Yeah. I love that too, yes. Because... I like seeing the dice at the table. That's a lot I don't of think dice at the D- table. I don't think DM's always necessary. So the minimum this does is 50. 10 d6 right. plus 40. Minimum, right. 50. How many times has a DM given their hand away a bit by saying, you've got the creature down to half? Oh, no, for sure. It's a, you can start to do some metagaming going, is the creature in disintegrate range? Right. No, we know how much yeah. we've done. Yeah. I've seen the dice. I've just been informed that we're at the halfway mark. Yeah. You, yeah, within points, you're able yeah. to... There are some people that still play with the 4th edition mechanic, the bloodied condition. I know a number of people that have ported that over into 5th edition. Which means once the monster reaches half its hit health, it, it takes on the bloodied condition. Now, sometimes the monster gets a buff when it's bloodied, like it starts to fight harder. But, in this case, when we're slinging around disintegrate spells, if we know now that it's bloodied, we now know it's at half. And as you said, we know that we've done this much damage, and am I within disintegration range yet uh, of just removing the bad guy from the equation? It is true, though, that when uh, when you think about dealing damage to something, like actually in a campaign, like if you're imagining that, right, and let's say I'm casting just a firebolt as a cantrip on like a really weak enemy, and he's like, he's hanging on with like one hit point. He's not doing well, right? Like you've got an idea. He's, he's like, not up there dodging anything, yeah, right? He's not looking handsome like he's already, <laughs> no, he's, he's almost yeah. dead, right? 
functionally. So you you probably have some idea how far that goes. I think it may even depend on the enemy, mm -hmm. the circumstance. But I, I think you do have an idea that it's like, okay, it's probably time. Uh, and again, you do have quite a range of damage that you could deal with it. As you said, it's 50 mm -hmm. to 100 damage, mm -hmm. potentially, right? Which is a huge range in damage. Yeah, yeah. And if you empower it, I think you'd be doing the wrong thing. Heightened is the best choice, I think. I agree. But if you, because you can only meta magic a spell once. Yep. So if you're empowering it, you took a gamble on the heightened. Maybe you don't have heightened, though. Maybe you didn't choose it, but you do have empowerment. So empowered still works well. But yeah, I really think the strength of the spell, because it's an all or nothing, comes in in the ability to heighten it and say you have a disadvantage on your saving throw. Now, can I just say, I want to say real quick, you know this story, but uh, yes. I, I do want to <laughs> just bring it out because a uh, caution if you get to this level and you have it. I never knew I've that. I've actually heard this story. <laughs> yeah, no. Before this, I met you. you know what? Sometimes campaigns get these stories that you're like, let me tell you about the time when. <laughs> this is our, our campaign at the bench that we've been running. We're 14th level now. I think we've been running for a little over two years. Yeah, so two years of playing. Everybody's 14th level. And this, what Jake's about to tell you, is one of the stories that it's like, let me tell you about the time when. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so we're, we're having this full-out siege on this kind of holy city we're trying to protect against this undead scourge, sort of fundamentally. There's a lot of personal motivations at stake, too, really. And uh, we're fighting just this these unbelievably horrible black dragons, as well as wizards on top of it, and, uh, and a death knight. And we are not... I, I'm not actually confident we're winning at all at this point. I just, Jeremy does this thing where I don't know how we're doing at all. <laughs> He's really good at that. Like... I always think that we're losing every combat until we suddenly win. And I, I feel like he's probably thinking of it the exact opposite way. I, I am. I'm, I, there, in the, this, this battle that you're talking about, the Death Knight wasn't there for this part of it. But there, there were two Black Dragons, two Archmages, and a Skeletal Warrior. Yes. And the Skeletal Warrior was to contend with your melee DPS. Mm -hmm. So I had to keep her... In the game. Yeah. I could not allow the spellcasters to remove the skeletal warrior from the encounter. Or the encounter falls apart. Because she sort of holds the line against a very powerful paladin and a very powerful hexblade. And she's the hexblade's lover from his backstory. She's now a skeletal warrior. She's being controlled by the death knight. And he has to confront her. So this is, when you say other things are going on, this is what's happening. Yep. But Jake decides he's going to deal with the Skeletal Warrior. The big deal. The D. Mm -hmm. So this is actually, this is where I pulled out sort of all he's the gonna give her the, He's <laughs> going to give her the big D. <laughs> Which is That's disintegrated in this conversation. <laughs> I mean, just, just so we're all clear. Just so we're all clear. Yeah. <laughs> This is a, this does, does her, does her, does her boyfriend know about this? Oh, okay. <laughs> this is Disney of all, I think. We talked about getting sidetracked and weird turns. That was, yeah, that was yeah. a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I love how huh. we've got three guys here giggling like little school oh, boys. Yeah. Or the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That shows maturity. Uh, anyway, so he pulls up the big D and then... Uh, but So I cast this spell and I did actually twin it, which is six sorcery points. 
out of, I think, 13 we were at at that point, mm -hmm. which is almost half, right? So I'm really using a lot to try to burn down this encounter, really going all out at this point. And I don't think we were very far into the combat at this point either, which was probably a Maybe poor idea. two or three rounds. Two or three rounds, because yeah. I was thinking of casting a Firebolt just to see. Sometimes I like to do that in character. I like to open up the attack before I really go all out to make sure that I'm sort of safe. I didn't do that this time. I just cautioned to the wind. I was like, I'm disintegrating her. I'm, I'm really feeling Turning this. Turning the tide of battle now. Yeah, I'm like, doing this. Yeah. And then uh, and then Jeremy describes as <laughs> essentially this bolt of green comes back at me. And I'm I'm like, what? 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 <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. What's and, my deck save? <laughs> not high enough. Not high enough. So, the skeletal warrior was wearing a ring of spell turning. Uh, while wearing, I'll read it. While wearing this ring, you have the you have advantage on saving throws against any spell that targets only you, not an area of effect to spell. So disintegrate falls into that. Uh, in addition, if you roll a twenty for the save and the spell is seventh level or lower, which it is, it was. Uh, the spell has no effect on you and instead targets the caster using the slot level uh, spell DC. Attack bonus, everything. It just turns the spell around on this caster. So with advantage, I rolled, and uh, this 20 lands, and I was stunned behind the table. <laughs> uh, that was not the effect I was looking for. I did not think it was going to bounce a disintegrate. You were just looking for this with this fizzle. I thought maybe, yeah, I thought I, it gives her advantage on saving throws. It's also a great magic item, and I thought the party could utilize it. If they overcome the Skeletal Warrior, they now have a ring of spell turning, and someone in the party can use that to great effect. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, because I also had them... So uh, it bounces. Yep. And I'm left with, I think, seven hit points. I honestly thought we were going to lose you. So did I. When we were counting up damage, and I'd been damaged in this fight already. Like, when, I, when, when you described it coming back to me, I was like, I'm dead. Like, I, I'm a race, and I, I'm not ready to be I'm not ready to be I was like, I want to do this to other people, not myself. Yeah. Oh, so it's the worst feeling. See, I don't think I've cried in, like, many years. That, <laughs> that might have done it, actually. Like, later that <laughs> night at home in the dark, you can hear <laughs> Maybe at Wind the table, wind. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Just skulked out of there. I've never drank bourbon like that before. <laughs> but that night? <laughs> but that night... <laughs> Mm -hmm. Now, there is a spell that we did not bring up here today, and maybe the two of you have not checked it out because it is not in the player's handbook. Book it is in Xanathar's. Mm -hmm. It is the only spell in the game that is sorcerer only. No other class can take this spell. And that is a first level spell, and it's called Chaos Bolt. Ah, yes. Yes. So this is something I that I, I want to bring up for, for sorcerers, and I want to talk about. So uh, you get to hurl this undulating... I love the wording here. Undulating, warbling mass of chaotic energy at one creature in range. Make a ranged spell attack against the target. On a hit, the target takes 2d8 plus a d6, which is ridiculously high for a first level spell. Mm -hmm. uh, the number rolled on the die determines the attack damage type as shown. So the one of the dice you assign, you know, you're like the red dice is going to be not only damage, but it's also going to pick my damage type. And you don't know what you're getting. Acid, cold, fire, force, lightning, this poison, psychic, thunder. This like wild magic source. Exactly. Written all over it. If you roll the same number on both d8s, the chaotic energy leaps from the target to a different creature of your choice within 30 feet of it. Now, I think that excludes it at that point from being twinned. 
That's a really interesting point. That would be because then it could theoretically twin and sort of twin. You could end up just yeah, having this really thing leapfrog, and you make a new attack roll against the new yeah. target. But because it has the twin. because it has the option to hit a secondary target, I don't think you're allowed to twin it. Well, because in theory, you could then hit four targets, right? Because I mean, if it like because if yeah. it's one attack roll in one, one attack roll in another. And let's say they both happen to you hold perfectly. Yeah, exactly. Then you'd be. I also yeah. think this is one of the few spells in the game that uses d. Like it, it doesn't just go. It's not just a d8 pool or a d6 pool. It's two d8 plus a d6. Uh, anyways, it, it jumps to a different creature of your choice uh, within thirty feet of it, making a new attack roll against the new target and making a new damage roll, which could cause the chaotic energy to leap again. So this is why I think you can't twin it, is because it has this ability to leap. So Chaos Bolt is, oh, yeah. I think, I might be wrong, I think it's the only Sorcerer-only spell in the game. I think I heard that as well. It's like Sorcerers finally get their Eldritch Blast. Yes. Yes. And uh, and I love the randomness of it. Uh, it doesn't really work with, I don't think it's right for the Dragon... Sorcerer, because if you're if you've got your elemental affinity, yep. you're never sure you're going to strike the right affinity that you need. Yeah. Uh, so from a power gaming standpoint, you there's no guarantees with Chaos Bolt. But if you're playing a wild mage, you could not ask for a spell a wild uh, sorcerer rather. You could not ask for a spell that lands more in your wheelhouse no, than, than no. Chaos. Bolt. Uh, you don't have to sell me. I'm only sold on this. <laughs> I really am interested. You had me at hell. <laughs> <laughs> Just the name Chaos Bolt. Uh, yeah, so uh, anything else we want to add? I, I, I liked your choices on spells. and uh, I Don't get me wrong, it was hard to come up with three spells. Because I was looking, yes. and I'm, I'm a, because I'm a low-level player, and I enjoy playing low-level characters, I was, I probably could have pulled three just out of the cantrips. We don't need to tell anybody, Chromatic Orb is good, I, I Scorching Ray is yeah. good, Fireball. Fireball is amazing. But I mean, things like... I'm more of a lightning bolt guy me, myself. Me I like I like that lightning bolt can be uh, that I can sort of snipe through my friends yeah. to hit what I need to with lightning bolt. But I get it. Fireball is you can't play Dungeons and Dragons without casting fireball at some point, right? Like that's yeah, I'm a fireball guy. Really? Yeah. You should try it. You it's so? fantastic. <laughs> it's so rewarding. It, we don't need to tell anyone that no. fireball's awesome for sorcerers. It's awesome for sorcerers. Uh, Scorchy Ray, awesome for sorcerers. Mm -hmm. uh, Chromatic Orb, an amazing first level choice for sorcerer. Just a ridiculous number of dice. You can get it to the element that you need for affinity. You can twin it. You can maximize it. Absolutely. So much you can do. It's one of those ones I actually still keep. So yeah. interestingly, because you were talking about some tips for sorcerers, and I do have a couple. One of those would be make sure you're changing your spells as you level. Even sometimes having necessarily more of like a, let's say, third level spell slot may be more convenient than keeping sometimes even a second level spell. Mm -hmm. For example, I have no second level spells in my character. Yeah, Wilderos does not run with second level spells. No, I just, I use them to either trade in points or upcast spells should I need, but I actually don't keep them. So like my only first level spells even are Chromatic Orb and Shield. Um, so otherwise, I like to be options of higher level spells. Even if I might not cast them all, I like having them because mm -hmm. you are so restricted. The second thing's more of a player thing, but you will cast spells that you really, really want to hit, and nothing happens. And you just sit there and like you're like, I just wasted my turn. Max you just gotta accept that. Earth you gotta accept it happens. Yeah, Jay really like Jason likes Maximilian's Earth in the Grass. I have I don't know that it benefits a sorcerer any more than a wizard 
but it is a good spell for controlling again controlling the battlefield right um but i've had entire combats where it never made contact at all yes like it literally things i, just I, I spent my hand. entire turn waiting for this hand to grasp and it missed don't you feel though every time. that's part of being a spellcaster absolutely yes so sorcerers that wraps up our talk on sorcerers uh, hopefully we're we're gonna try to maybe do this with some other classes. I would love to do this with more classes. Yeah, I think it's I think it's fun to look at. It's some nice of to talk. We talked today about spells that I haven't even flipped through to the book yet because, as a relatively starting again player, there's already so much to remember. And I'm not gonna start looking at stuff I'm not getting for ten levels. I don't have time to focus on that. I had no idea some of the spells even existed. Mind blowing. Yeah. But at the same point, I'm very exciting. Realizing where this may go, I don't know if our campaign will go that far. Yeah. But as a class, I'd never played sorcerer before. I'd never looked at sorcerer. I thought of him as a wizard. Not interested. Mm-hmm. I have enjoyed this class thoroughly. I have every intention, probably, of playing a sorcerer again. Good. But wild magic. Would Would that be your experience with sorcerer? That I would very much play sorcerer again. I would play Favored Soul if I was going to do it again. I think for just the ability to have some more cleric spells Mm -hmm. to really open up, because especially I've never really looked at the cleric spell list in great detail. But it's uh, a massive spell list again. So many schools, like it's you have. There's a level of dedication to go through that list. Mm -hmm. But that's I think almost why I enjoy it because I'm sure there are possibilities in there for the sorcerer's meta magics to really come into play, Mm -hmm. and I'd love to love to experiment with that. But uh, I would absolutely play Sorcerer again. Amazing class if you want to be a face, be a damage dealer. And if you're careful, you can have some still very fun and entertaining utility spells that uh, can just be a blast. Absolutely. Uh, Probably one of my favorite characters I've ever created. Thank you, Jake, for joining us. Uh, Jason, thank you, as always, for being my most gracious host. Yes. As he strokes his mustache. <laughs> strokes his mustache. So that'll wrap it there, and we say good night, Dick. Good night, Dick.